The Tragedy of Cinema podcast is intended as a family-friendly program that by extension strives to be inclusive to all people regardless of their ethnicity, gender, creed, or any other identifying factors in this incredibly diverse world of ours. With that said, some of the films we discuss may contain serious subject matters or have content considered morally objectionable by today's standards. We do not intend to condone or dismiss these aspects of these films, but our primary focus will be on what we believe our film succeeds at, some fun facts, and our personal enjoyment factors of each film. With that said, we hope you enjoy the show. guys welcome back to the tragedy of cinema podcast we are just going to go ahead and jump right into this continuing on with our uh review of schindler's list um part one got a little too long and we didn't want to go ahead and just keep uh you know letting it go because at a certain point you have to cut it off or you can't upload it so yeah um and that gave kyle a little time to 
catch his breath, and get a drink, and for example, wipe, well, his, wipe his nose, mm-hmm. wipe his tears. Yeah, go to the buffet. You know all the good stuff. So we had to get that out of there. Bare necessities. <laughs> the, the essentials of Kyle. You've got a the buffet. bare necessities. <laughs> okay. All right. We got to do the old. Yeah, back on the tone. Back, back, the face is back and set mm-hmm. like a flint. All right. So here we go. According to the scriptwriter Frederick Raphael, not the turtle. Uh, when he suggested that Kubrick, the Schindler's List was a good representation of the Holocaust, Kubrick com, com, uh, com, um, com, commentated that that's a, uh, think that's about the Holocaust. That was about success, wasn't it? Kubrick, uh, the Holocaust is about six million people who get killed. Schindler's List is about six hundred who don't. The, the yeah. I understand what he was trying to say, but the way he said it just makes him sound like a horrible person. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. It was success because we killed six uh, million people, and not the six hundred that got saved. Is the way that I read into that. Yeah, I understand that too. And, and we're doing it here as well as a generalization. We we consider it like a Holocaust film, and at the end of the day, it's kind of like that's a little bit disingenuous. This is a film about Oscar Schindler, a man who saved you know over a thousand Jews. During the Holocaust, it's not a film about the Holocaust necessarily. You know, that same kind of respect. So I think I I, I see. You know, we kind of agree. Like Stanley Kubrick's point, while being aggressive and pretty rude, um, is the same point there. Is like you know, it's it's you know, there's a reason why many people, in the, you know, many people um, who are Jewish people, don't actually see this as a Holocaust film necessarily. They see it as a film about you know a savior, not you know simply that thing. So it's a it's important to recognize that too. You know, right. Um, so, you know, hopefully moving forward, you know, we, there, we will films that will cover the future that will cover more about the Holocaust directly, but um, this film, too, is um, Oscar Schindler, first and foremost. Fines put on 28 pounds to play this role. Uh, he watched historical newsreels and talked to Holocaust survivors who knew Goth. Um, in portraying him, Fine said, I got close to his pain. Inside him is a fractured, miserable human being. I feel split about him. Sorry for him. He's like some dirty, battered doll I was given. And that I came to feel peculiarly attached to. Yeah, I kind of what I was kind of like praising for him earlier is like getting in the mindset that someone, someone who is so morally reprehensible and no doubt miserable in life, um, is got to be difficult. So right. it's impressive to do that. You know, uh, Ralph Fiennes' character Amagoth doesn't appear until nearly fifty-two minutes into this film. Uh, the song being played when Schindler enters the nightclub and meets all of the Nazi officials is called "Por un, uh, una cabeza." The same song is played in uh, or as the tango in True Lies in 1994 and Son of a Woman in 1992. So there's some other movie tie-ins. <laughs> um, let's see here. Spielberg and his wife Kate Capshaw and their five children rented a house in suburban Krakow for the duration of filming. He later thanked his wife for rescuing me 92 days in a row when things just got too unbearable. Uh, Claire Danes was originally considered by Steven Spielberg for a role, but she turned it down because he couldn't provide her with tutoring on the set. Uh, the part for which she was considered for, considered for is uh, unknown. Hmm. Um, Interesting fact there. Uh, yeah. Um, in a television interview with actual Larry King on the Larry King Live Show in 1985, Dustin Hoffman claimed that he was originally offered the role of Istak Stern by Steven Spielberg and accepted it but was quoted in the media as declining the part due to mix-up in communication between his agent and Spielberg. However, he praised Sir Ben, ben Kingsley's performance as uh, Stern as a marvelous job. God. Dustin Hoffman would have been an interesting character to see trying to play that role. Um, 
I think Ben Kingsley even now um, has the ability to kind of inhabit a character where he kind of dissolves. You don't remember, you don't you don't think you see Ben Kingsley there. You just see the character he's playing. Um, Dustin Hoffman, I think, is a little bit on the other side. Where like, I see, I always see Dustin Hoffman. Well, in that character he's playing. and I think probably part of that is because he just got done filming Hook, where he played Captain Hook, and that was with Steven Spielberg too. So maybe it was just easier for Spielberg to say, "Hey, I'm going from this project to this project. Do you want to come?" Yeah, you know what I mean. And he probably was easy to work with. I don't, I don't know. I'm sure they had a working relationship. They wanted to continue, but anyway. Just you know, block communications fell through, and uh, the films, the films, epilogue states, and you gotta remember this was in 1993. Uh, there are fewer than 4,000 Jews left alive in Poland today. There are more than 6,000 descendants of the uh, Schindler Jews. Uh, this uh, uh, film's closing memorial and dedication states in memory of more than the six million Jews murdered. So, very um, interesting. <laughs> Uh, Steven Spielberg left the editing of Jurassic Park for two weeks so he could start shooting this film in Poland. Um, but as we stated uh, in the last episode, he took the proper things by like buying satellite companies, two different ones, and yeah, so he could communicate. Downloading all those kind of things. You know. Right. Enormous expense for the time. You know, Nowadays, you can do it for 20 minutes. <laughs> in AFI's uh, top 100 villain, heroes and villains, uh, villains, Oscar Schindler is ranked number 13 as a hero, and Amon Goth at number 15 as a villain. So very interesting. Uh, selected by the Vatican in the values category of its list of 45 great films. It is the only R-rated movie on the entire list. Wow, that's incredible um, to think of. And uh, interesting for the Vatican to choose that film. Oh, uh, here you go. This guy just seems to just creep up in almost every episode we do now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Polanski turned down the chance to direct the film later com- uh, commenting... I certainly wouldn't have done as good as a job as Steven Spielberg because I couldn't have been as objective as he was. Uh, yeah, I, I can certainly understand that. And he later made the, I think it was The, the Pianist in like 2002 or 2003 around there. And uh, that's in, uh, despite my misgivings about Roman Polanski, that is an excellent film. Um, <laughs> so that's an interesting thing to see. Although I would be happy if Roman Polanski wasn't a reoccurring character in this podcast <laughs> as well. <laughs> uh, in 2007, the American Film Institute ranked Schindler's List number 8th on its list of the 100 best American films of all time. Um, the film was designated as culturally, historical, as significant by the Library of Congress in 2004. And selected for preservation in the National Film Registry, which, if any of the movies that we have talked about deserves it, this definitely is one that is most deserving, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is interesting, too. Uh, Stellan Skarsgård was considered for the role of Oscar Schindler. The role went to Liam Neeson. Uh, Neeson was originally set to play Father Frank Marin in Exorcist, the beginning, in 2004, but dropped out and was replaced by Skarsgård. Hmm. So a little interesting small world moment, tidbit, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess everyone's always talking to everybody in films. Yeah. So he's basically picking up the pieces that Liam's leaving behind. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't want to do that. I'm leaving this one to go do this yeah. one. Yeah. Always orbit around Liam Neeson. You know, get money. Speaking of that, do you think that? Um, okay, Kyle. Let's just say we'll just use you for example. Let's say you were. Um, I'm just going to start making up movies that don't exist. Yeah. So, Kyle, you were slated to be in uh, Tommy Boy 2 as Chris Farley. Yeah. Okay. That'd be a huge honor. Oh, okay. wow. So, <laughs> okay. you, so you're signed on for this. Well, here comes along, um, let's say, uh, the new Star Wars movie, the Jabba Head Chronicles, and you are scheduled to play Jabba <laughs> so, the Hutt. Exactly, yeah. No, wait. But uh, you've already signed on to do Tommy Boy 2. So, but Jabba the Hutt's offering you like $6 million more million. Would you give up the role... 
of Tommy Boy 2 just to go pursue Jabba the Hutt because of more money? Or do you think that's how actors work? Is it just based solely on more money? Or do you think it's just based upon the role that they're offered? Do you think it's a combination of both? Do you think it's time? Do you think it's... It is all important. I think it's got to be um, not just about the money. It's got to think about your whole career going forward. If you want to keep being in films, which films do you got to stick with? Um, end of the day, like breaking a contract is always it looks bad. But if you do it for an understandable reason, it doesn't look as bad. Like, of course, they offered me more money, so I went there. I'm sorry. I have to cut through this. Do it the right way. So, like, me personally, I always want to, you know, I want to have the idealistic view of going with the role that I think is the most important artistic symbol. Not just about the money, but at the same time, though, you know, no one's ever offered me $6 million or millions of dollars to be like, oh, hey, do well, this. Well, but do you, think you no. would, do you think that you would ever take a lesser role for, or a different role for lesser money just because it's a different... Uh, type of movie that you've never done before so you're not cast as a method actor oh yeah I don't want to be typecast like that right. too oh yeah uh, definitely definitely I, mean, you, I guess Tommy Boy and Jabba. Jabba was probably not the best scenario to use there because I kind of typecasted you <laughs> but I'm just saying yeah yeah but, well, but do you understand if I was Tommy Boy or Jabba the Hutt I get to eat donuts for the rest of my life that's hey, fun too the, the free buffet still <laughs> exactly go. free buffet uh, for life no that's just um, always been an interesting uh, thought of mine if, if you would um, go for lesser money to do a movie, maybe something you believed in, mm-hmm. even though it might be less of a payday instead of doing a movie that you were just okay, I guess, mm-hmm. and it's like ten million dollars more. You know, uh, you know I, I don't, I don't begrudge anyone who gets typecasted or is a method actor. I think that's also a great career path in their own way. If they get like constantly like locked in that role, like Hugh Laurie playing doctors after you played Doctor House, like, <laughs> it's like I think that's perfectly fine. Like if he wants to do other things, I get it. But also like. You, you can ride just being a doctor in all these TV shows for a while. <laughs> so I think that's perfectly fine as well. Um, so, like, me personally, like, you know, if I felt like I was being typecasted into something that was actually flattering to me, not just Tommy Boy or Job of the Hut, <laughs> right. um, I think I would be perfectly fine with being in that kind of, like, role of, like, oh, yeah, I'm known for being this kind of this kind of character. Well, but also, if you if you, know. you go do the Job of the Hut, then you can go live on just signing autographs at conventions the rest of your life, too. Exactly. exactly. And it all yeah. dries up. Yeah. I'd actually think, like, probably <laughs> of, like, modern times, like, Seth Rogan, like for a while, for like the first like decade and a half of his career, it's just like I am the the best friend who smokes way too much marijuana. That's all he is for like the first like fifteen years of his career in every single movie he's in. Yeah. Um. So I, you know, I don't think anything's wrong with that. I think that's probably legitimate rare Hollywood career. So yeah, I I, I, I feel fine. Right. <laughs> so Andrews, I would do what I feel more comfortable with, I guess. And you would do them both if you could. Yeah. So uh, director Steven Spielberg, as we stated, often watched Seinfeld episodes uh, to relieve some of the stress. Ironically, this film became part of Seinfeld later on in one episode of Seinfeld called The Raincoats. features a storyline where Jerry can't have relations with his girlfriend because of his parents' overlong stay at his house. So he makes out with her at a movie theater. However, the theater is showing Schindler's List. Oh, my God. And Newman rats him out to his Jewish parents. So I was like, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, if there's one movie that you shouldn't make out in, it's obviously Schindler's List. Because, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That, that, that definitely makes the short list. It definitely gets up there. A movie you shouldn't like get it on. But then again, it is three and a half hours long. So, I mean, um, <laughs> let's keep going. So, here's some other roles that were uh, people that were considered for the role of Oscar Schindler. Uh, how about Warren Beatty? I could see it. He's an excellent actor. He definitely did the role. Definitely yeah. is. Mm-hmm. And then they say it says Mel Gibson again. But we've already talked about that. I already have thoughts about that. Yeah, <laughs> and that's all I'm going to say about that's that. All I'm going to say about that. Um, mm-hmm. Spielberg used proceeds from the film to finance several related documentaries. So the thing about Spielberg is the guy's just got so much money, and he he wants to. Be, I genuinely believe he has a heart for people. 
Um, so he actually uh, did uh, gave money to finance uh, documentaries uh, Anne Frank remembered in 1995, The Lost Children of Berlin in 1996, and The Last Days in 1998. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. I. Yeah. I, no. Yeah. I just. Yeah. I know it's it's popular in vogue now for kids that really really hate people that are obscenely rich. I don't consider like seems more that obscenely rich compared to like billionaires or something like that too. But still, like he you know, probably I, is a billionaire. Well, it's like, close to it, if not. Yeah. I'm surprised. <laughs> sure. I'm sure he's worth more than hundreds of millions of dollars. But at the same time, though, it's like he does clearly have a um, beneficial heart and wants to do things that he's passionate about and also donate things to charity. Speaking of that, do you like think that. that when Lucas uh, did they did that gentleman's agreement about uh, proceeds from Star Wars? That when he sold it to Disney, do you think uh, Spielberg still gets a cut of that? Or do you think when he sold it, he lost his rights too? Oh, I'm going to say I bet he lost the rights to that. But I but he probably got a cut that. of what he sold it for, right? Yes, I would the, say. I would, definitely, I, would, or whatever I would definitely think that for sure. Yeah. But, um, um, yeah. No, I, 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 I'm sure Disney... <laughs> he would, got paid one you know, way or the other. Spielberg always gets paid. But I'm sure Disney also... Like, I'm sure he was in the room there like, okay, this is what's going to happen to you after this deal happens. And they got the crew of that because I'm sure they always want to make sure Spielberg's happy as well with Disney. Right. Yeah. Uh, despite both being Nazis, the moral divide between Schindler and Goeth is literally represented by the shadow that divides the frame, which I thought was very interesting, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is one of those movies that's obviously on the 1,001 movies be- must see before you die. I would even probably put it in the top 50 movies, maybe top 20 that you need to see before you die. Mm-hmm. If not, even top 10. It's just that much you can Powerful. make a strong case for wherever you want to put it on the right. Ohio, Ohio, Ohio open list. Um, even yeah. the great Roger Ebert, uh, it was on his list of great movies, so uh, it's in good company. And I'm not saying I agree with every movie that Roger Ebert and Cisco liked or disliked, but I have to agree with them on this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Liam Neeson said he got the role because he hugged Kate Capshaw's mother while he was naked. Uh, Nelson auditioned for the role of the war hero Oscar Schindler in the film, but he felt the session had gone so badly that he didn't wait to get a call back and signed on for a Broadway play opposite Natasha Richardson, who would become his wife. Wild reviews for his performance drew Steven Spielberg, his then-wife Kate Capshaw, and her mother to the theater to see it. Neeson said, They came backstage and there was a knock on my door and I was practically naked and it was Steven and Kate and Kate's mum. And Kate's mother was quite tearful and emotional, and as naked as I was, I went over and gave her a big hug. About a week after that, Stephen called me and he said, Do you want to be Oscar Schindler? Kate apparently has said to Stephen on the way home that when I hugged her mom, that's just what Oscar Schindler would have done in that situation. (laughs) Okay. Maybe not naked, but maybe the emotional hug. Yeah, emotional hug, the emotional support. That's good to see. Okay. Uh, filmmaker Michael Haneke criticized the sequence in which Schindler's women are accidentally sent off to Auschwitz and herded into the showers. Uh, quote, there's a scene in that film uh, when we don't know if there's gas or water going to be coming out uh, in the showers in the camp. You can only do something like that with a naive audience like in the United States. It's not an appropriate use of the form Spielberg meant well, but it was dumb. Kyle? I'm going to let his judgment stand. Uh, I, I, uh, you know, can, I, I just, can I just say... I've heard of Steven Spielberg, uh, filmmaker Michael Haneke. Kyle, give me a movie he's done. I I, I don't know exactly. No, look it up. Look it up. See if he's if there's if he's even done a movie that you even know. Let me let me look at his name and try to spell it correctly. Um, hang on. Let me say this one more fact, and I'll give you this list. Uh, Steven Spielberg was convinced that this film would lose every cent of its twenty-two million dollar budget. To his surprise, it went on to gross over three hundred twenty million dollars worldwide. 
It's right there. So look and see what he. Right here. I see it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, Director Steven Spielberg considers this movie to be the crowning achievement of his career. I would say thus far it probably is. Um, Even though I'm a big fan of Indiana Jones. Just Mm -hmm. saying. Yeah. Uh, You're right. That many movies I've seen it all. Um, And he's an Austrian filmmaker, so like he made Austrian films so far. So Uh, this is also kind of thing where just like I feel like I'm like like he's a he's a he's a foreign director from foreign films. I haven't watched himself, so I'm not going to be critical of him there. And also Austrian, having familiar with the Holocaust, like I I think his his personal like critical uh, stance there is valid. I'm not going to judge that at all. And I'm not a historian who knows things past that. So, like, I, I don't Kyle, wanna... you just don't like confrontation. Admit it. Yeah, too. Yeah, sure. Okay, <laughs> fine. You know. Um, Schindler has to res- rescue Stern from a train bound for death camp foreshadowing his eventual rescue of all of his co-workers. And I saved this one till the last because this was probably one of the parts in the movie that just destroyed me. Uh, the whole film is in black and white. And there is this one scene where Schindler's on a date with this girl on top of, like, overlooking Auschwitz, I guess, or the city. And the, the, the Germans have come in, and they are just starting to massacre the Jews and move them out to wherever. And there's this little innocent girl, and um, the beauty of the filmmakers decided to give her this red coat, and it stands out. And uh, Oscar Schindler is just drawn to her, and he's watching her. And she doesn't know any better. She's skipping down the road, walking down the road. People are being shot around her. People being murdered. Uh, firing squads. And she just you just follow her walking down the aisles and going up the street, down the street. And uh, she, she's just innocent. You know what I mean? She mm-hmm. doesn't really have the idea of what's surrounding her. And to me, um, that was just such a powerful, powerful scene. And what was even worse than that is come to find out later in the film uh, when uh, they're dumping the bodies, I think, in a mass grave. Uh, yeah. Her. She, she, her body's there with the red coat, and it just it just tore me apart. Um, but the girl in the red coat was a real girl. Her name was Roma Lagaka. Unlike her film counterpart, she survived the war and wrote a memoir titled The Girl in the Red Coat, a memoir, which I'd love to read. Um, the... Uh, how do I want to put this? Um, mm-hmm. If you got something to say, get that, Kyle. Go ahead. Let me collect yeah, my thoughts real quick. I, I, I would say, like, you know, I, looking at more production of this film, I saw some other notes specifically, too. Like, the girl in the red coat was kind of like the turning point for how uh, Spielberg realized he wanted to film this film, how he wanted to film this whole movie overall, and how um, it's Schindler's turning point. After Schindler sees that girl, he goes from being the opportunist trying to get rich off the war um, to being the um, Jewish sympathizer trying to save as many Jews as possible. That's kind of the turning point of his heart um, in this film. And uh, it, it goes to show that um, his turning point is also, in many ways, kind of too late in his own mind. Right. Um, when he sees that she's been added to the mass grave, that love, like he realized that he needs to be helping them right now and he should have been helping them sooner. Right. And that also comes to a head at the very end of the film. That's exactly what I was going to talk about is the ending is there's a scene where um, Schindler goes back to, I guess, his... um, Factory. Factory, factory, right. End of the war. And he he announces that, hey, the war is over, you're free. And uh, Schindler's leaving. And and I forget the guy's name. The guy, um, you know, they come up and they have all went together and they have made him or given him this watch. Mm-hmm. And 
Well, no ring, the ring. Oh yeah, yeah, the ring. Sorry, and and he just uh, and the, wasn't there. He, they say something like, "This is so you can always remember us." You know what I mean? And Schindler breaks down, and he's like, "I could have saved more. I should have done more." And they're, they're like, "Look, you, you did what you could do." You know, and this is something you remember us by, and we're always forever grateful. And if that doesn't move you when you watch the movie, nothing will move you. You're not a human being. I mean, it's just that powerful of a scene with everything that them people went through and everything that Schindler went through, the tricks and connivory that he went through, and the battle between him and uh, Ralph Fiennes' character about sending people because they were they were shipping them to concentration camps to kill them uh, by train because they were supposed to be loading. The one train going to another place. He was trying to rescue him by sending this train somewhere else. When he finds out that they actually uh, they went behind his back and they were sending that train to the concentration camp. Um, yeah, it's just a very very uh, powerful moment of this it's, film. It's, it's a powerful film and it's a powerful scene, specifically right there too. And I, I I love it for the fact that it it leaves you uncomfortable. It doesn't it doesn't seek to try and um, dis, uh, diffuse it at all. It's left there with him, you know, um, just cursing himself basically for not having saved more. And it's not like someone says something that makes him like, oh, okay, I did save a lot of do something like that. He is left still emotionally distraught. He has that feeling forever in his life, presumably after that scene, um, that he wished he could have done more. He wished he started doing the right thing sooner. Right. And it leaves you there in that uncomfortable feeling that um, you can also, you know, always kind of pursue in your own life. Like, are there, is there more things I'm going to be doing? The lingering doubt that I haven't done good enough yet. You know, those kind of feelings that um, I think anyone, a lot of people can relate to. And uh, I, I adore that scene for it. Specifically. And there's a great quote there that that... Uh uh, Jew says to him, the uh, can't think of his uh, any name. Uh, oh, it, any man that saves uh, one life saves the world saves entirely. Them. Yeah, you know, yeah, like and it was just fact. it was um, just wow. So, Kyle, um, I'm going to go ahead and go first on my feelings of this movie this week. Okay, um, I absolutely believe that everybody should watch this movie. Um, there is some uh, nudity, of course, um, when they strip the women and the men of their clothing, and they. Uh, Take them to the gas chambers slash showers, um, and like the Germans are scrubbing them down, you know, yeah. almost beyond beyond what needed to be done because they were thought they were dirty. Um, treating them, treating Jewish people like animals, right? Yeah, that's basically what it was, and being led to their slaughter. Um, this movie, when it started off. I didn't really know because I had watched bits and pieces. I don't know if I'd ever said all the way through because it's a hard set to watch through all in one sitting. <clears throat> so when it started, I was like, well, am I really going to enjoy this? Why are we doing this for the podcast? But then it is in the top 100 movies, top 20 usually. So when you start sitting and watch it, it's different than any other movie that Steven Spielberg has ever done, in my personal opinion, including Saving Private Ryan. He takes you on a journey. Not just from uh, the Jews, but actually from the German uh, Oscar Schindler, who is actually on both sides of the fence, if you will. Uh, at the beginning of the movie, he's very much in, inside of the German camp. He's like, hey, I can, you know, some of these people, we shouldn't just send them away to concentration camps because some of them actually have skills. They can actually help me make money and help the German make money, help make pots, yeah. pans, whatever they need to make. Um, so he comes up with that plan to do that. And then. One, as you see him struggle, as he's going struggling against the Germans, struggling against uh, you know with the Jews, and um, you know they, they they go through there, and to see his transformation from the the man that he started the movie with, 
to the man at the end of the movie with, I he just gained my total respect. I'd actually like to read... This actually made me want to read the biography of Oscar Schindler to find out the real Oscar Schindler. And then at the epilogue, when you see all them actors and the real-life survivors of the Holocaust um, that he saved coming and putting the stones on his actual grave, and then a lot of them saluted him, a lot of them did a lot of stuff, you know, said prayers, whatever they did. I mean, if that doesn't make you tear up right then and there, uh, no movie will. And I, this is a movie that I really, I don't want to say I enjoy it because you shouldn't enjoy something like this. Um, but I'm enjoyed that I actually watched it and watched it all the way through because the yeah. lessons that you learn from this movie will stick with you the rest of your life. Yeah, you appreciate the emotional movement you had and the lessons that imparted on so you. So that's when you, know. you got uh, people out there that, oh, the Holocaust didn't exist, or oh, this didn't do this, this didn't do this. You know, you think back to a movie like this, and while it may have been changed um, somewhat, um, but I think Spielberg tried to keep it uh, as historically accurate as he could uh, yeah. by doing his research and doing all that and the way Steven Spielberg does things. It, it like his, his main priority was to emotionally convey the feeling of being trapped in that, that, that right. you know, kind of situation. And, and he did an excellent job of that. The, the <laughs> cinematography in this movie, even though it's in black and white, it is captivating. Mm-hmm. And that little girl in the red coat, I mean, that's the one that got me probably the hardest in this movie. Um, but, I mean, you've got another sad, sad one is when... Um, they're coming through that town because it's clean out day or whatever. And you got that little kid that's running and trying to hide in uh, like the floorboards. And they're like, there's no space in here for you. You know, then he runs and you see him jump down in an outhouse. And he's like, they're like, you got to leave. This is our hideout. Yeah. You know, they're down in the sewage. Uh, and this is not a place for you. So that, that poor kid. And then you had the little kid that is actually part of the Germans who was actually friends with them. He's helped clearing the streets. Like, look, you got to come. I can hide you. You know what I mean? He's like, and so, um, you know, you, you think as bad as it was on the parents and on the adults, you start wondering about the kids um, mm-hmm. that was there in real life. And it's just heartbreaking. So for me, it's definitely a great movie. It's definitely a movie you should watch. Uh, just be forewarned, there is some nudity and there is some language and there is definitely violence. Um, like uh, when they're going to s- uh, shovel snow that one day, remember, and the guy's not working fast enough or whatever, yeah. they shoot him in the head right there on the side of the road. Um, very violent, um, but I, I would definitely recommend it. Uh, absolutely, I think it is one of Steven Spielberg's greatest movies he's done, and I like almost everything Steven Spielberg that I've seen. So that's my recommendation, Kyle. What do you think of this movie? I, I, I largely want to echo echo um, virtually everything you said. I, I think I would um, I would only in a way disagree that I don't think. This film is more essential than any other film about the Holocaust, in a way. Right. Um, I think the main and most important factor is learning about those events, um, learning about what it took to survive, and learning the failings that led to the event happening. Um, it's about learning about the failings of Nazism and uh, the, those beliefs, and understanding why, how wrong it was, and how just how um, massive the injustices to humanity were done in that um, time period. And uh, it's a difficult thing to do, but it's critically important that everyone does so. Um, not just Jewish people, not just anyone. It's all people to recognize just what happened there and why it happened and how societies need to 
take an incredible effort to make sure nothing like that ever happens again. And, and not to say that it is the only event in world history of, of genocide. Right. And, right. You know, well, um, it's like, you know, we don't talk about politics on here on the podcast, but um, we started thinking about the Ukraine and Russia situation right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what they say, uh, what they said, you know, the famous saying, those who don't uh, learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Yeah. Um, I think I think a lot of times, especially the younger generation, I'll say, um, a lot of them don't, I, don't, I guess they don't care, I guess would be the word I'm looking for about history um, because they're obviously trying to erase some of it. But that's what makes it history. Um, if you don't learn from your past, you'll never make changes for the future. Mm-hmm. So by just saying, oh, I'm erasing this, that doesn't mean it didn't happen. And that just means eventually, hey, you're going to not remember this and you're going to doom to make yeah. the future. Or, or, or the idea of portraying it in any kind of gray scenario in my mind. Uh, I think I, I get really upset anytime I hear someone try to talk about uh, – Talk about World War II or Holocaust from like a both sidesism. Right, the German ever had a point at all? Like, no, that's not at all um, anything you should hear. Or like trying to present things for kids to make their own judgments about. Um, Adolf Hitler was an evil man. Yeah, Adolf Hitler was an evil man. Nazism is absolutely um, uh, horrific and evil and a horrible and um, evidence of like a pitiful human being. Absolutely disgusting in every way, morally um, speaking. Um, so it's one of those things like it's very clear black and white in this issue where very few many things in the world are gray this is very clearly black and white right and um, and, as the and even my own personal heritage I'm I'm German um, and I and I sometimes I often wonder um, were you related to um, some of the bad ones I, I say it like that um, I'm not saying there are bad were you part of the family lineage that actually was forced the um, committed the war crimes on the Jews you know what I mean mm-hmm. and I don't know if I'd want to know you know what I mean because right now I'm German I'm proud to be a German yeah. and Cherokee Indian but well, I mean I think, I think it's, also, it's, it's just so probably okay to be you know credibly German yeah you know? right yeah right and and yeah. we're not saying that you know if you're German and somebody in your family was doing that that it was their fault. They were probably say, "Hey, you do this, or you can yeah. get in line with them." You know what I mean? It, it, the way Hitler was. Yeah, and, and indeed, it, the um, the uh, I, don't know, I guess from a, somewhat of a historical perspective, I agree. It is it is not about individuals themselves being evil. It's about a systemic problem that made people complicit in mm-hmm. atrocities being committed in Germany and across the world. Mm-hmm. And it's not like a like I said. The, that, like Germany was the only place to do that, you know. Oh, and, no, no. You know, uh, you know, even even America itself has a long, you know, history of you know um, racial segregation and slavery and all those kind of things too. And that goes the entire world over. Of course, everything else like there is a long history of genocides and injustices across the world. Um, the Holocaust is one of the most uh, um, famous, well documented, right. and uh, easy to point a finger at. And and that's why um, I think we choose to do it uh, as a society. And I think that's important that we do so because it's such a, a, a very um, important lesson to teach everyone. Um, so yes, I recommend, I recommend most people watch this film as well as many other things about the Holocaust and read books and learn the history about it. Um, this is definitely, um, you said, like I said, this is an R rated film, clearly for nudity and language and violence and, um, absolute brutality of, uh, injustices being committed that are difficult to watch even as an adult. And, um, it can be, incredibly difficult to understand as a child so clearly um if you're ever watching this with anyone in a younger persuasion right. you need to have discussions with them before and after to help them understand and kind of uh be able to process those things because it can be very very difficult to um to understand uh, those things you know you can even struggle with it as an adult and that's 
perfectly understandable. But it is important that you do take those times to understand those things in your life because it will benefit you. It, this will benefit you in your day to day life as you deal with other people mm-hmm. and learn that you know how uh, easy it is to be the wrong person sometimes, right? Um, and what it takes to be the good person. So that's how we all feel about the podcast. I, think so, I agree with you, and you agree with me on that. One. A very powerful movie. Um, you know, after. Me and Kyle is going to have some fun over the next few weeks because after doing a movie like this, it is just emotionally and physically draining, mentally draining. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've decided what we're going to do. Uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and give you the next few movies that we're going to be doing. Um, we are we want to finish uh, the three James Dean movies. We did Rebel Without a Cause. So the next uh, time we record, we're going to be doing East of Eden um, from 1955, which is another James Dean film. Um and then uh, after that, I think the week after that, we're actually going to take a break and do a comedy, uh, probably one of my favorites of all time, Young Frankenstein, the Young Mel Brooks, just so we can just sit back, chill, chill, and have a good time. And then we also plan on doing after that uh, James Dean's last movie. Giant. Giant. And then we are going to probably do a real talk covering the death of James Dean and uh, some more about his life. Is he just famous for what happened, his tragic death, or was he going to be a great actor? Um, so yeah, stay tuned for that real talk. That. So, yeah. uh, Mokai, I think we've rambled on long enough. Uh, make sure you go check out uh, Schindler's List. Um, if you'd like to leave us an email, uh, we will read it on the air, thetragedyofcinema.gmail.com. Uh, you want to join our Facebook page, we are the Tragedy of Cinema podcast group on Facebook. Um, Kyle has promised me that this week he will get TikTok out. At least try to. I'm, I'm going to get some TikTok stuff done. I'll figure some stuff out. Yeah, I got things on and the, not the ideas. shooting a lightsaber in your face. You know, you know, <laughs> I, I make no promises. I make no promises. Um, we are having a live show July 16th here in Indianapolis. Um, if right you, around the corner. Yeah, feel like I know. Uh, if you look on the Facebook page, you can see where you can get tickets. I think they're twenty or twenty-five dollars. So you can come hang out with me and Kyle. Um, we got some exciting stuff planned for it, um, which we are feverishly working on. Um, this past weekend, uh, I did get to go to a live Hillbilly Horror Stories uh, pod- live podcast with Brohio and Mysterious Circumstances, Justin Rimmel. Um, and by the way, a free plug for Justin. He just released two uh, episodes on the uh, Black Sox scandal uh, that the movie Eight Men uh, Out was, uh, was made about. Uh, about Shoeless Joe Jackson, all them guys. It is a fantastic podcast to listen to. So go check out Mysterious Circumstances and listen to the Black Sox scandal of uh, episode one and two that he did. Uh, they were fantastic. I also got to meet some of our fans and some new members to the uh, podcast, uh, Anna Kenyon and her husband Jim, uh, who actually live just outside of St. Louis. They were great people. Tiffany Boots, of course, uh, who emceed the event. So just all in all, a good time. And, and it's it's fun meeting people. Mm-hmm. Um, something that we're tossing around the idea, which um, I want to do at one point, is we will try to do a live um, podcast show, a 24-hour continuous podcast for um, the Connor Emory Epilepsy Foundation. So any donation that you give will go straight to them. Um, I just think it would be funny how slapstick and silly Kyle can get after... Yeah, more than delirious and two sleepy. hours. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but I think it would be a great way to make money and just to have different people come on. We could call people on the phone. You know, we could interact with people. Uh, maybe put it on Facebook Live. Um, 
We'll see how long we could go. I think it'd be pretty cool to make that twenty-four hour mark. I think it'd be great. I think it's a great idea, Jimbo. I really right. Do. Yeah. So we got some things planned for the future. So hang with us. So with that being said, I think this episode's coming to a close, and that's a wrap. And cut.